You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. I want to welcome you this morning. Glad that you're here. We're going to go back to 1 Peter where we left off there a couple weeks ago. Uh, we're going to be back in 1 Peter 3. Uh, I got a, you know how they do in the newspaper if you make a, if you make a wrong statement or whatever, you have to go back and make a disclaimer or whatever. Last week I said that uh, Moab and Amon, I don't know where I got the word Joe, but I, I was like, something was not right, but it was Lot. And all you Bereans out there were supposed to call me to account and you just sat there and let me eat it. I can't believe it. Thank you, Mr. Alva. Alva knew too, and he wouldn't say nothing, but you did? Yeah, somebody's got to give me a, give me some help sometimes. Help me. Oh, man. I know. Thank you, friends. So embarrassing. Anyway, be a Berean. Search the scriptures for yourself. After you're preached to, then you go back home and you read the book and you see if I told you the truth. That's the best way to do it. The problem with our with churches a lot of times is nobody's going back and checking on the man that, that's giving them the word. You need to read the word for yourself. So we got a bit of a hard verse this morning that we're going to work on there in First Peter. Um, and it's right there in verse... Uh, uh, let's see, once death in the flesh, spirit in prison. Verse 19, 3 verse 19. And it's a real tricky verse. It says, by whom also Christ went and preached to the spirits in prison. And so we're going to work on that this morning a little bit. And, and I just want you to, to think about these things. Uh, Martin Luther of Reformation fame there, 1400s or so, 13, 1400s. Uh, he said, a wonderful text is this and a more obscure passage than any other in the New Testament. So I do not know for certain what Peter means. Now, let me tell you, Martin Luther's studying for 10, 12 hours a day. Dale, sorry, I don't study that much. I should, but I do work some too, and, and uh, I didn't study that much on this. I didn't study 12 hours a day for the last seven days so we could figure this out. So just have mercy there. Um, some of these doctrines um, are very important, but they're not critical to your salvation. And that's what I want you to grab, is it's going to be okay if we don't get that perfectly right. If you're saved, you're saved. Whether or not he preached to the prison, the, the angelic conflict prisoners, or those that had died before Noah's flood, or if it's something else, it, it's important, but it's not critical to your salvation. So I want you to catch that. Men can argue about that later, um, but for us little average people, we'll be very happy just to read this. Let's read this, First uh, Peter 3, uh, starting in verse 15, and it's talking about suffering. Well, maybe we could start at 14. Because it's talking about suffering, and I want us to look at that, the suffering that we experience. Uh, Mr. Olson mentioned that this morning. But the suffering that we experience is versus the suffering that Christ experienced. Verse 14, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. It says there that by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison there, verse 19, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited, and notice divine, the word divine there is capitalized, so it's talking about a particular person, who a personality, a person, it's God. Long-suffering is his name. Long uh, patience is his name. He waited. He waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. And if you went to 4 verse 6 there, it says, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who were dead, 
that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Wow. This is one of those verses, it could have a number of meanings because we have Noah drawn into the, into the message there. So Noah's this guy way back there. We're talking around 4,000 years ago, 3,800 years ago. Why is Peter, Peter brings up Noah in here. He brings it up in 2 Peter. Christ brings up Noah. Uh, Timothy gives him a plug. Jude gives him a plug. Why is the days of Noah so critical for believers, modern believers, even these believers 2,000 years ago? Why is Noah important? And one reason he's uh, important is he's, he's an image of Messiah to the people. So anytime you have most of your Old Testament prophets, Joshua, uh, uh, Joseph was an image of Messiah. He was an image of Christ very directly. No sin attributed to him. All the different, all the, the brothers and the, the tribes and the Passover and all those things that are covered by him. Him, his clothes being sold. There's just a ton of, of inferences of the Messiah to come way in the future. He's just a picture. Moses, the Messiah figure to the Israelites as they escape. The different prophets, particularly Samuel and Elijah, as a Messiah figure that saves the people from their sin by their witness, by their uh, priesthood, by the way they handled the, the Levitical priesthood and so on. All those guys are a picture, Old Testament, of Messiah to come, New Testament, which we call Jesus Christ. And so, so all these Old Testament Messiahs have a picture, but they're not, they're Messiahs in a sense in that the people look to them as their rescuer, as their savior, as their shepherd, but they weren't Messiah in the sense that they could save the people from their sins like Emmanuel does. Emmanuel, his name shall be called Emmanuel, for he shall save the people from their sins. He, the, they weren't that good of a Messiah. They were okay. They were the best they had. They were the picture to come. They were pointing people to the Father, but they weren't Messiah like Christ was Messiah. They didn't give their lives, even if they did, they didn't give their lives like Christ gave his life, a ransom for many. And so it's important to look at them as that. And like I said, how these verses work, these things are important, but none of them have a, a particular effect on your personal salvation. We're talking about people that are saved. Peter is talking to people that are saved. I'm talking to you today, assuming that you have received Christ at some point and that you're saved, that you believe that Jesus came, lived a sinless life, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, um, talked to the disciples, sent the message through them to the people of today. He was put on the cross for sins he didn't commit, but all of our sins were put up on him and the wrath of God was poured out on him in that order that we could be saved. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died in our behalf. He was dead, completely dead, buried in the ground three days. And on the third day, he rose again, proclaiming that he has the power over death. And he sits today at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. He speaks on our behalf to the Father. So that when we accept Christ, when we say, Christ, I cannot live my life the way I live my life. I'm a sinner. I recognize I'm a sinner. And here's how you know. If you ever told one lie, if you ever back-talked your parents one time, if you ever took God's name in vain one time, if you ever stole anything one time, if you ever coveted something, you ever had looked at a person of the opposite sex with lust in your eyes, or a person of the same sex with lust in your eyes, Jesus said if you broke any of the law, you broke all of it, and you're a sinner and you're in desperate need of salvation. In fact, if you're to be separated from God in your sin, you'd be separated eternally in hell. But God makes a way and he sends a man, the man, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, and he comes and he dies on your behalf. And he says, if you will accept me, I'll take your, your sin on myself and you can live and I will die in your place. And so he stands before the Father when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a guaranteed money that if you accept Christ, he will save you. There is a way of walking for a saved person that's different from an unsaved person. And that's what it's talking about here is righteous people, those that believe that Jesus is Messiah, and how they would walk. Well, good people get punished all the time. It happens all the time. It happens in Iran. It happens in Iraq. It happens in Afghanistan. If you're a Christian, you proclaim the name of Christ. It happens in China. It happens in Africa. You will be beaten. You will be persecuted. It says, when they revile and persecute you greatly for my name, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, 
for great is your reward in heaven. Because the suffering that we endure for this day is nothing compared to the suffering that Christ endured on our behalf. He made a way so that we could get from death to life. That's amazing. The thing that he did is completely amazing. But the problem is, is that the days of Noah have continued since the days of Noah. Let's go to Luke uh, 17, and even Jesus speaks about those days. Luke 17, and it starts around verse 26 there. So first he's talking about himself being there, and his purpose on the cross and so on. And these guys are saying, well, how will we know when the end will be? And Jesus tells them it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. Well, how was it in the days of Noah? And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So all the days of Noah are important to be remembered because they're a teaching precedent of the sinfulness of man and his rejection of God. But it's also a picture of God's long-suffering patience, his divine long-suffering that waited till the last person that would ever be saved was saved. He doesn't, he doesn't jump the gun. He doesn't mete out judgment before the sin is complete. And it's super important. Um, a lot of times with us as fathers, as parents, we, uh, other parents, just point to you, you're on the front row, and you did the singing, so you're right there and gotcha. Anyway, uh, we mete out the judgment, we mete out the justice, we mete out the punishment before the sin is complete. Like we see the kid fixing to do wrong and we beat him then instead of letting him commit the whatever it is and the consequences of the crime falling on him. You know what I'm saying? We jump in too quick with the belt when we should let the consequences themselves handle it and then if you need to give him the belt later, that's what you do. We're not allowed to give the belt anymore. Uh, we'll call it the hot chocolate, but you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah, when you, when you heat up that chocolate, they'll know what you're talking about. But the point is, is that with God, it's not that way. He lets natural consequences take their place. You, you mess around on your wife, eventually she catches you. You pay the price for that, maybe she leaves you, maybe she stays, and you pay for years for your bad decision. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't like the first time you get a little text or you see something on Facebook or something. He doesn't jump in right there. He, he gave us volition. He gives us the opportunity to repent. And it's an ongoing repentance. It's ongoing. It's an ongoing sanctification, ongoing spiritual growth. He doesn't jump in immediately as soon as you start getting off the path. He'll let you go as far down the path as you want to go. He let the prodigal son leave his country and go and feed the pigs in another country. And the father never left the realm of his kingdom. He didn't go and greet the son until the son returned to his kingdom. The son was out there all on his own. He did it all by himself. He got himself out there. And God, Father, why aren't you helping me? Well, you ain't in my kingdom. You're outside my realm. I'll, you get to my realm and I'll help you. If you're a saved person and you insist on living outside the kingdom of God, guess what? The consequences of the world are going to come upon you. He'll let them land on you. And it's not until the sin is complete where he really meets out the discipline. And that is for unbelievers. This is more talking about unbelievers than believers. But, but it's just so true. God is not the way that men are. He's willing to wait for the conclusion of men's sins to be completed. If you go to Romans 1.18, and we've read that a number of times, the wrath of God revealed among men. Or better, let's go to 2 Timothy 1.7. Just uh, zip over there real quick. But it's talking about the same thing. 2 Timothy 1.
Well, that's a good verse, but that ain't the verse I'm looking for. Give me a second. I'll find it. It'll be better if we use the right verse, I promise you. We can edit, or the, edit this out later. I'm looking for where it, uh, it talks about the, uh, the last days where people will... Uh, it's in Second Timothy, I know it is. I just read it. I read it again this morning. So I know it's there. Uh, verse 3, I'm sorry, chapter 3, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. That's what I'm looking for. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, uh, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Could you say, if you looked at this list right here, in the last days perilous times will come, that men are lovers of themselves? Are we narcissistic more than we've ever been ever? The word is selfie, young people. Lovers of money. Uh, do we love money? Do we want money? Do we? Are we after ill-gotten gains? Are, is gambling at a higher rate than it's ever been ever, especially in the United States? Um, do we want money that's not necessarily ours? We want the government to give us money whether we work for it or not. Um, are we boasters? Are we proud? Are we blasphemers? Do we take the name of God in vain? Do we mock God's name as a culture, as a country? Are we disobedient to our parents? Do we see unruly children all the time? What children there are left? People don't even have children now, sadly. Um, unthankful? Are we grateful or are we unthankful? Are we unholy? Are we sanctified? Do we live set apart or do we live like the rest of the world? Are we unloving? Are we unmerciful? I give you... Uh, all that happened in Portland with those, uh, or the Antifa and all that. That's what unloving looks like. Where you're just beating people. They're not the same color as you. Let's beat them. They are the same color as you. Let's beat them. They don't agree with you. Let's beat them. Let's shoot them. Let's stab them. Chicago, 30 people a weekend um, stabbed or shot in Chicago. I mean, that's unloving as a culture. Unforgiving, merciless. People say anything, and the Internet just attacks them brutally, and then they say they're sorry, and they're like, you're not really sorry. And it's, I mean, it's just unmerciful slanderers without self-control. Do we lack self-control in our culture? Do we just buy whatever we want? Do we eat whatever we want? Are we all um, grossly overweight? And well, it's not that we're overweight, we're just under tall. If we were six foot 11, we'd all be the right build, right? Um, brutal, are we brutal in our culture? Are we despisers of good? Are we traitors? Do we turn our backs on, on fellow believers, on our family and friends? We hear family people say terrible things about other people in their own family. There's no respect for uh, familial love anymore. Headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure uh, rather than lovers of God. Fake Christians, they have the image of godliness, but they're not. They deny its power. That's where we're at, just like in the days of Noah. Go back to 1 Peter. I know it's in 1 Peter chapter 3. It wasn't in 2 Timothy where I thought it was, but I knew it was there somewhere. It's in the book. Well, that's why you've got to be a Berean again. You've got to be able to look at it. But there's a place in a person. There's a, I'm sorry. There's a place in God of patience, of long-suffering for men. And it is, it is wild. And this, this long-suffering thing, it says in verse 20, who formerly were disobedient, so these spirits in prison, they were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. The greatest hope that I can give you today is that you don't get what you deserve. We don't get what we deserve. Because God is long-suffering and He waits. He waits for the natural conclusion to come. He waits for the supernatural conclusion to come. That I'm desperately lost and hopeless without a Savior. That there's 
when 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 the person is sick and dying the only hope that i have is to pray for that person in the name of jesus that they would recover that the great physician would intervene if i see the person going on the wayward path and i speak to them the words of life and they don't receive it and they keep going that way the only thing i can do is pray to the most high god that he would rescue them before it's too late and that they would come to their senses that when I'm sick myself or when my, my children go astray or, or whatever the thing that's happening to you in your life, the only hope that you have is that God has a lot more patience and long-suffering than you do. I've heard many parents say, I love my children, but I don't like them. We all have that experience. We love them, but then they, they talk ugly to us or they mistreat us or they walk away from us or they get into drugs, they get into alcohol, they, they get into a bad relationship, they get into homosexuality, they get into something and there's nothing you can do about it. And because they're the, the fruit of your loins, you love them like you can't explain. You can't explain the love that you have for your children to your children. They won't ever understand it until they have children. That there's a, a different kind of love, greater than the love you have for your wife, that you have for your children, for your spouse. Because they're from you. And then they can just they can just drag you through the dirt and plow you under and plant on top of you and never seem to care, right? But you love them, but you don't like them. God is not that way. God's love is like this. Man's love is like this. Man's love is like a roller coaster. If you treat me nice and you bring me cookies, I love you. If you talk bad about me and, and kick my dog, I hate you. But then tomorrow you bring me cookies and then I love you again. We're up and down like a roller coaster. God is not that way. No matter how we treat him, his love is consistent. If we're his children, he loves us with an, a love that is indescribable to men. Because our love is so inconsistent. Well, I love my wife. I love her more than life itself. Is that so? Let her brush her teeth wrong. Let her leave her side of the bed rumply. Let her, whatever the thing does that she annoys you with. Let her do that and then tell me how much you love her. Because you're just as mad at her as you would be the guy that cuts you off in traffic. It's inconsistent love because man's love is inconsistent. God's love is not inconsistent. It's the same. And it's so long-suffering and he has the, the long-distant vision that can see the end result of man that we don't have. We, we tend to love our kids for what they'll do tomorrow. But God loves us for what we'll be in eternity. We tend to get mad at our kids for what they did yesterday. But God has the long-distance view of how we'll be in eternity. And he'll put our sin as far as the east is from the west. And he'll cast our sin away as, as into the depths of the sea. He'll completely forgive our sins and forget our sins. And we, we just don't have the capability of doing that. Man, his mercy is great. Look at Genesis 6 right here. It came to pass in Genesis chapter 6, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, daughters were born to them. Verse 3, the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Verse 5, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. That's you, friend. Sorry. That's our culture. Verse 6, the Lord was sorry that he had ever made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. We grieved the Father, the creator of all things. We grieved him to the point, but in in. In his plan, it wasn't in his desperation that he sent Christ. It was in our desperation that he sent Christ. But in the desperation that Christ was sent for men, because we grieved him so, he sent the Messiah to come and to save us. The Lord was sorry he made man. The Lord said, I, have, I will destroy man whom I have created, verse 7, from the face of the earth, both man and everything else. Verse 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And verse 13, and God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. We <laughs> Thank God for the Messiah, man. 
are we in the days of Noah? The Bible talks about the sin of the Amorites not being complete. There was a couple times where God, like in the days of Noah, where God makes a statement similar to that. One is with Nineveh, yea, 40 days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. But they repent, and God gives them 100 years. The nation of Edom, the Edomites, if you read the book, it's from the, it's from the family of Esau, Jacob and Esau, and we have the Edomites, and the conclusion of the Edomites is the book of Obadiah. It's just a little short book. You can read that on your own and see if I'm telling you the truth. But in Obadiah, God is done messing around with the Edomites. He's done. These are Jacob and Esau's. This is Esau's offspring. And they've become so corrupted and so anti-Israel that God finally, 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 his long divine long-suffering is at the limit and he takes them out. Um, don't think he won't do it to you. <laughs> don't think he won't do it to our country. God the Father has this far-reaching plan to allow all men the opportunity to be saved to a point. But there's a place where not a single person more will be saved, and at that point, he withdraws his spirit, and he releases his wrath, and it's all she wrote. Any point in there, any Gentile, any Jew, any man of any color from any country, Africa, Asia, Europe, Africa, or, you know, whatever, uh, uh, Russia, United States, Canada, it doesn't matter, South America, Central America, it doesn't matter. Any man from anywhere that at any time repents and seeks the Lord with his whole heart will be saved. But every man that rejects the free gift of salvation that the Most High God gives to man will die and die eternally. It's a scary thing. That, that divine long-suffering, it waited for you. It waited for me. He had to wait a minute for me. Um, God in His mercy, He waits for men in their foolishness. He waits for them to come to their senses and return to Him. The Bible says that the fool's heart knows God. Uh, the fool's heart says no God. It doesn't say um, that he doesn't know God. It says he says no God. I know there's a God. I just don't want to do what He tells me to do. I know there's a God, but I ain't doing it. You can't make me do it. And God says, "It's not that I can't. It's that I won't. I won't make you love me." I'll make a place for your saving, though. So are we in the days of Noah today? It really seems like it. Um, uh, men are marrying. It said, are, are, are people still marrying and giving in marriage? I mean, people are still getting married. Heck, we got, we got gay marriage. We got transgender. We got so many people getting married, it's ridiculous. We got people that shouldn't be getting married getting married. They're not getting married in churches. They're not getting married by pastors. They're building marriage, uh, what do you call them, wedding venues all over the place. Because church ain't the place to get married anymore. Um, people would rather have their vows before men and given by men that aren't men of God so that they don't have to put themselves under submission to one another or submission to God. But people are still getting married. Um, are people still drinking and eating? Man, we... <laughs> We have so much drinking and eating going on. One of my cousins is actually working on a medicine to treat fatty liver. If you don't know what fatty liver is, it's basically the same thing as cirrhosis of the liver. It used to be old people, old men in general, got cirrhosis of the liver from over-drinking. But now young people, they're having to make a medicine to treat fatty liver in children and young adults because of how much... Uh, corn syrup and stuff like that that we eat and it builds up on the liver and it acts the same way as cirrhosis of the liver. So they're actually developing medicines so that we can eat more garbage. Are we eating? Are we drinking? Um, more beer and alcohol sales in the United States than ever. Than ever. Man, Bud Light. Yeah, well, no, he said except Bud Light. But Bud Light ran their 24-pack down to $3 because they can't give it away. <laughs> but the point is, you can go down to Speedway down. They got a 54-ounce drink. 54 ounces. When I was a kid, an 8-ounce soda, that's what you got at the table. Maybe a 10 if you got the extra large, 10-ounce. And there was no refill. You get a 54-ounce soda for like a dollar. Are men eating and drinking? Yeah, they are. To their own death. 
have they blasphemed the name of God in this day like they did in the day of Noah? Have they completely turned their back on God? Have they taken the rainbow which God gave as a blessing? If you don't think that's demonic, taking the thing that God gave as a blessing that he would no longer produce his wrath in the form of a flood on men and now make it this, the, you know, the symbol of the gay agenda and so on. If you don't think that's demonic, you don't think that's the working of the evil one against the sons of God, the sons of men, that is, man. They, they openly blaspheme God. They openly mock God. But I will say, is the earth totally corrupted like it was in the day of Noah? By the day of Noah, there was eight people left that had not been corrupted. We're not there yet. It's bad. In the day of Sodom and Gomorrah, there was one family left. And of that, there was only three that escaped, and that was Lot and his two daughters. We're not there yet, but we're running as fast as we can to get there. We need to be careful. We need to be speaking the truth. Because, again, in that Second Timothy, um, let's see, I believe it was in 4. Let me make sure before I send you there. There's just a time of people rejecting the word of God, and I think that's where we're at. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all lung suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they'll turn their eyes away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, you believers that sit here today, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. You can do it. No matter what anyone else is doing, fulfill your ministry. In our, in our culture, we're, we're almost completely oblivious to the return of the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus said of himself, when the Son of Man returns, will he really find faith on the earth? You could ask it another way. Will he really find faith on the earth? Hey, no, he won't. For one thing, the, the believers will be removed. The believers will be weakened. They'll be persecuted severely. They'll be afraid to speak. Some will be raptured. Some will die. And the only thing left will be the wicked, just like in the days of Noah. In fact, when we speak of Noah, when we speak of the flood, I watched the thing. It was so This guy's atheist guy, right? And he said, obviously, the Grand Canyon is a result of of a large-scale flood in this region. Okay. You mean like the one in the days of Noah? And the guy's like, no, no. No, this was regional. And I'm going to tell you, this is the answer to that. If you got 8,000, 10,000 feet of water right here at Crossville, the way water works, I don't know if you ever ran a bath before, but when it gets, it's going to be 8,000 feet as far as 8,000 feet goes. A water doesn't go 8,000 feet and then drop off at your neighborhood down to, you know, one inch. It doesn't do it. It's 8,000 feet the whole way. If there's 8,000 feet of water over the earth, guess what? It's over the whole earth. <laughs> it doesn't taper off. It's not, what it, it's not a regional flood. That's why there's flood uh, damage on the top of Mount Everest. Did you know that? They find seashells up there, shark teeth and everything. On the top of Everest, that's a tall mountain, tallest one in the world. There's shark teeth up there. They didn't get there because the shark was gnawing his way up the mountain after he walked cross-country over to it. It's, it got there because he died up there. The flood was worldwide, but people mocked that view of thinking. And that's tragic. So to mention Noah, or the fact that Christ mentioned Noah, or that Christ mentioned um, uh, uh, Jonah and the big fish, people mocked that as well. If he mentioned it, it happened. Noah happened. Noah was a Messiah that only rescued eight people. But he was a Messiah. Um, anyway, so it's important that we remind men that there's a point of sin's completion. It's what we do as ministers of the gospel. We've got to tell people there is an end of sin. There's a point where God will not allow the sin to progress any further we've really watched it accelerate here in our country in the last you know whatever 50 years but there is a point where there is the divine long suffering he will react and he will not allow one more sin against his creation to be completed what it said there in genesis was 
the whole earth was corrupted. So it wasn't just that the people were corrupted, and part of that is the Nephilim and all that, but part of it is just the, the, just the sheer wickedness, brutality, violence, you know, sexual immorality, whatever. It was all that plus with the animals. They had corrupted the animals somehow. And God said, that's enough. The whole earth is corrupted. I'm not, I'm starting over. There'll come a time when he'll do it again. But let's go back. If we looked at all that, we can go back and look at this verse again. Speaking of Christ, who suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, verse 18, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. Noah preached, so we have a kind of a strange thing there, and you'll see it there at the end, but we're not going to talk about it today, 21, about the, the type of baptism that saved. Noah was buried with Christ in death. When he went into the ark, and the ark was submerged in the water, and comes up, it's the picture of death coming to life. Okay? Noah died in his preaching. It says that he was a preacher of righteousness. That word preacher means a herald. So he was like, remember, hark the herald angels? Seeing it wasn't herald, it wasn't an angel named herald, it was the herald, the fact that he was making this call out to people that they would hear. And that's what the preacher does. Noah stood there and preached and prophesied and spoke and said, yea, 40 days and the earth is going to be covered with a flood. And he began to do the work that he did, and he worked in front of them, and maybe some of them helped him. We don't know. But he preached until his death. The reality is, we would see it the other way around, is that everyone else died and Noah lived. But it was the picture of him being baptized. If you didn't see, if, if Noah wasn't baptized, then nobody ever was. Because it rained for a half a year, and then the water covered the earth for another half a year. I mean, it was terrible. He was baptized. He was in the ark. He was under the water, and then he was above the, uh, the water, him and his family. The Messiah picture of Noah only rescues eight people. The Messiah picture of Christ rescues any who would come, whosoever will, and he'll save them. So he preached, but everyone else was imprisoned. They heard the word, but they were imprisoned in their trespasses and sins. They refused to repent. A person is imprisoned, he's enslaved by sin, when he refuses to receive, that is the, the new clothing of a new believer. When we're baptized, the old man is rinsed away, and behold, all things become new. He's raised to walk. Old man buried with Christ in death. Raised to walk in newness of life. Old man put in the grave. New man brought out of the grave. It's that picture. These people were imprisoned. They were imprisoned by their own sinfulness. I don't want to get in, I don't want to say something that's not true, and I'm not, 100% convinced that that's all that's going on here. Maybe Christ in those days, in the three days in the grave, did he go down and preach to the souls in hell? That's where they get this, that picture. And in one other place. But I'm, I couldn't say for, for guaranteed money that's the truth. But Peter was really intent on this because he mentions this again in Second Peter. The fact of Noah, the flood, and Christ uh, preaching to the dead. But I'm going to tell you, without Christ you're dead. So if you're dead in your trespasses and sins, somebody presents the gospel to you and you reject it, you're imprisoned. And I believe that's the, the easiest way to look at this. These people now that died in the time of Noah's flood, everyone who has ever died, including the fallen angels, some believe it's the fallen angels that he went down there after the, um, after the uh, when he was in the grave, that he went to the fallen angels and he was like, man, Annie, boo, boo, I told you I was going to make it and and then they were like, they had to stay, and he got to go back. But I can't qualify that. I can't say that's the, the case. But I can tell you that all those that are imprisoned in sin unto death will one day be freed to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's just like if you went to the jail down here. If you go to the jail, you get caught doing whatever you're doing, and then they throw you in the jug down here. At some point, they bring you out, and they judge you in front of the judge. It's the same picture. And when that happens, um, one of two things are going to happen. You're going to go back to prison or you're going to be set free. 
Is that not the case? Maybe there's another thing. You could be fined and then set free. <laughs> Whatever. But you're going before the judge, and that's the point. These people are imprisoned. They're either imprisoned in sin unto death. They're imprisoned by sin and refuse to repent. Or they could be imprisoned and accept Christ. But any of those three options still involve going before the judge of all mankind. And in that, I think that's good enough. Because the next line gives us all the hope in the world, and that is when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. He waited on every last person. If any other person would have come to the ark while the door was open, while there was still the chance, they could have got on the ark and been saved. And Noah, for a year, would have had these new little disciples he could have taught about the goodness and mercy of God. Those other people rejected God's mercy. That's the thing. If God, he's just wrath and he's judgment. He was merciful. He sent person after person after person after prophet after prophet after witness after witness after messenger after messenger after Messiah. And they rejected him. And then after they rejected him over all this time, like we still do today, we say God is wrathful and mean. And I would never follow a God that acts that way. But man, he gives you. He gives you every opportunity. He goes down to the jail cell. He opens the door. He gives you brand new clothes, a whole suit of armor. He gives you the very best food. He promises you a dwelling place in heaven with him. And we say, I'd rather sit here in the cell. I mean, I mean it's not his lack of mercy uh, that can overcome our stupidity. So, Second Peter, it says that we willfully forget, Second Peter 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. It's just like, it's always been this way. Oh yeah, that's right. Jesus is going to come back on a white horse, blah, blah, blah. And he's going to take his people with him. It's a big, you know, whatever, whatever you got to tell yourself. People said that 2,000 years ago. They said it 4,000 years ago, and they say it today. But God has done what he said he was going to do 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, and he'll do the same thing today. Knowing that they come, saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. They willfully forget. I watched, so, uh, I didn't watch them a long time, but I, I really enjoyed watching Ray Comfort videos. And, and uh, pretty much everyone, if he would ask them, they had heard of the name of Jesus at some point. May not have re received him, may not necessarily have respected him, but they had heard of him. But they willfully forgot or they willfully voluntarily chose not to do whatever it is he told them to do. And that is to accept him and to begin to walk in newness in life. And that's the tragedy. But I tell you all that to tell you. First uh, Peter 4 again. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we lived like hellions. You know, stop living that way. It says in verse 5, They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the quick and the dead. We're all going to give an account but it says of us, of you, I pray of you, Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Therefore, arm yourselves with the same mind, the mind Christ had. What kind of mind did Christ have to have in order to make it from being with the disciples at Passover and then walking the way to the cross? The discipline, the punishment, the beating, the crown of thorns, the brutality and all that thing. What mind? We have to have the same one. If we're going to exist in an age that is just like the days of Noah, then our mindset's going to have to be like the mind of Christ so that we can endure, so that we can make it through this age. 
And I tell you all that to tell you, as we get ready for, for communion, I want us to look at the suffering of Christ for a second. And like Peter said, he asked Peter, um, you know, basically, do you think you have the will to walk the way that I walk? Oh, sure, I have the <laughs> I have it. I have the endurance to run the race, to drink the cup. I don't think you do. I want to look at Matthew 27. Now we're, we're kind of transitioning to communion here. And in Matthew 27, which is after Passover, we'll go back and read that, but just to close this idea of the suffering of men in the age of Noah, as believers, I want you to look again at what Christ walked through. The first thing was in 27.4, you see Judas come to his senses and realize that he betrayed innocent blood, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, Judah. Judas going to the to the Sanhedrin or whatever. And then 27, starting in verse 11, now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. And Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Um... The injury of someone that you love dearly that sits down and eats meals with you for three years, who you've trained, who you've cared for, who you've babied, and him turn his back on you, betray you, turn you into the government, that's painful. To go to the before the people that you have established in the positions of authority in the church, in the temple, in the synagogue, to go before them and them see you as a prisoner and not as the son of the most high God, the very God that put him in that position of authority in the first place, to go before the governor, to see the governor who sits um, only in that position because God elevates men into authority and he brings men down out of authority, to go before that governor who didn't recognize the most high God when he saw him in the flesh. Verse 27 then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Even in their mockery, they didn't realize that they were fulfilling the scripture, that every knee will bow. The most powerful country in the world, Rome, bows the knee in front of the king of kings and lord of lords. It's kind of funny. They didn't realize they were doing that. But... And they spat on him. And then they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, made fun of him, they took the robe off him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. They compelled him, verse 32, to carry his own cross. Verse 34, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he tasted it, he would not drink because he knew it had a sedative in it. It was a pain suppressant. And then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that might be fulfilled. It was spoken of the prophets. They divided my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. And sitting down there, they kept watch over him. And they put a sign of mocking over him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then the, then the robbers, verse 38, they begin to mock him. Then those who passed by, verse 39, blasphemed him wagging their heads, saying, you who destroy the temple and, uh, and build it in three days, save yourself. Then the chief priest, mocking him with the scribes, verse 41, he saved others, can't save himself, trusted in God, uh, let's see him deliver himself. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him. The lowest, low-down, dirty dog, sinning losers, are mocking the Most High God. And in the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Those who stood there not understanding. Is the suffering of Christ enough to uh, convince you of the long-suffering of God. 
because of what he went through, completely honest, completely silent, completely righteous, completely holy, completely sinless, and yet he went through this terrible suffering so that we could live free and abundant lives. Was it enough? It's not enough to convince people in this age of godlessness that there is a Messiah and that he came and that he died for us. But for you, was it enough? Man, his long suffering, it was so patient that he waited for you. If you're here today without Christ or you're, you're kind of messing around on the fringe there, like I'm, I'm a Christian because I'm not a Catholic, I'm a Christian because I'm not a Muslim, I'm a Christian because I'm not a Jew, I'm a Christian because my grandma was a Christian. If you personally have not accepted Christ personally as your Master, Lord, and Savior, then today examine yourself and see if you're of the faith. Be careful. Because all men, it's appointed once for man to die and then to judgment. All men will be judged. All men will be taken from prison and stood before the Most High Judge. And you'll say, why must I, why, you know, why should I let you into my heaven? And you'll have one of two answers. You can start with, I'm a good person, and he's going to laugh in your face. Or you can say, I accepted Christ and I throw myself on his mercy. And you'll say, enter in, son, daughter of the Most High God. It comes down to that. It really comes down to that. So I pray that before we take communion this morning, as we have a moment of silent prayer, the Bible says, if you'll confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The very first thing that you need to do is figure out where you're at as you stand before God. Are you full of sin? are you clean? And if you're not clean, then today is the day of your salvation. You need to just call out in repentance of faith and say, Jesus, save me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I ask for your mercy now, and I ask you to come and save me. And then you need to begin to walk in newness of life. You can come talk to me afterwards for that. For the rest of you, if you hold a grudge against a brother, you're thinking about negative things that happened during the week, whatever you got going on, right now is a chance to kind of clean your mind out and, and just... Uh, and consider that. Ask for forgiveness for God. Thank Him for His salvation again. And uh, just commit yourself again to Him fresh for this coming week that He would renew in you a clean heart and pure hands. Let's pray for just a second and then we'll, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to get up from the middle, come up and receive the, the elements, and then go back to our seats. Um, let's pray first. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you and we ask, we're just so grateful for your mercy. It's greater than we understand your love, greater than we understand your mercy, greater than we understand. We can't grasp it. It's too much. But Lord, we need it. And without you, we can do nothing. But with you, we can jump over a high wall. Without you, we can do nothing. But with you and the, and the surrounding angel of the Lord's army, we can defeat, defeat the greatest foes. Have mercy on us, Lord, a bunch of sinners that come before you, Lord. As humbly as we know how, we ask for your mercy now and your grace to be continual towards us. Thank you for your care for us, your love for us. Lord, for your divine long-suffering that waited for us. If there's one here today that you've waited for so long, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation and that they would receive you while there's still time. We thank you, Lord, for this picture of, of communion as we come before you uh, to share in your body and your blood. Oh Lord, I pray that this message was an honor to you and it was a sweet-smelling aroma to your nose. Thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.